Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. More of your phone calls a little bit later on the college football, NFL, and other headlines of the day. Joining us now, as promised, covers the NFL and the Panthers for The Athletic Carolina, a website where you can also find some of my contributions. He is on this beat all day, every day, including the Panthers' 30-27 to loss in Week 1 at Bank of America Stadium to the L.A. Rams. It is a Thursday night special to look forward to with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers visiting Charlotte. Joe, welcome back to the David Glenn Show. How are you? Hey, man. Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, we got you. Uh, my, my first takeaway from the Panthers' loss to the Rams was both, it's no embarrassment to lose to the L.A. Rams, but... If Cam Newton's not going to run very well and Cam Newton was tricked into an obvious reception and Cam Newton also had a misfortune with that lateral being called a fumble, uh, it was about as bad a day as I can remember besides injuries for Cam. Uh, what did you see from him? Why did he not run? And where do the Panthers go from here offensively? Yeah, I mean, first off, you're right. I mean, sit here in the final tally and say, okay, you lost by a field goal by the, the reigning NFC champions. Okay, that's well and good. But they didn't – somehow they managed to look not real good getting there. And and Cam was kind of at the top of that list, as you suggested, Dave. I mean, it, it you know, I got to say, you know, leave the productivity aside just for a second. It's it's become a boring offense to watch. They're you know they're they're kind of dinking and dunking to McCaffrey. They're not um, they're not stretching the field. They're not you know not taking any deep shots. And 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 Cam at least in week one did not run the ball. I you know no one has really said if that was a product of his foot injury. I don't think it would have been a shoulder uh, a right. surgery. Obviously, uh, I have to think that played into it some. Um, there was only one called run, uh, which was a little draw that picked up three or four yards, and then he had a scramble. And then really the third one didn't, shouldn't even count because it was the lateral that you referenced. Yeah. So they, you know, they still, thank goodness for Christian McCaffrey because they still managed to be fairly productive. But at some point, some point very soon, that box is going to get jammed up and stacked with defenders, and it's going to be, all right, Cam, here, here we go. We dare you to, to try to get, get over the top on us, which is incredible that we're having this discussion when you think about where Cam was early in his career. Joe Person is with us. Find his work at theathletic.com and The Athletic Carolina. Follow him on Twitter at Joseph Person. I'll bring you back to some Panther stuff, but I have to ask your take of one of the more bizarre series of headlines involving a single player I've ever seen over a single NFL weekend. Antonio Brown was a member of the Oakland Raiders. And he had his foot problems with cryotherapy. And he's got lawsuits surrounding him for off-the-field reasons. And then he's not showing up because of health helmet safety complications. And then he appears to get into a throwdown with his own general manager. And then he posts a video of a conversation <laughs> with John Gruden. And the next, I wake up on Monday, man, and he's a member of the New England Patriots. Um, I know how productive he is. I also know how erratic he is personality wise like do you believe it when Jerry Rice says we all got played by Antonio Brown you know he wanted to be with the Patriots all along or, or can you see Tony Dungy's statement where he actually said he was disappointed in Robert Kraft owner of the Patriots 
for signing Antonio Brown? I mean, this this thing just has so many legs and branches. I don't even know where to ask you to start. Yeah, and and frankly, I, let me let me talk about. I, I don't pretend to know Antonio Brown. I've never covered him. I, that that uh, just just a couple things. I watched Hard Knocks this year, and of course, you know he was. They were chronicling, you know, the helmet thing and the cryotherapy and the burned feet and whatever. He came across very badly in that show, and then, and this was before even the threatening to punch like Mayock's yes. face. Um, he just he, he, he listen. There's plenty of guys in this league and other professional leagues and colleges. Uh, athletes that are self-absorbed like that in itself is, is no no reason to shun a guy but he, you, you use the word erratic um, that, I mean it, he, he's just it, he, it was hard to understand him as he was communicating with coaches and players it was very weird and and you got the sense there that that was going to end badly just, just the little snippets that we saw on camera which, which, by the way, he had to be around for a day or two to get those. And he, I guess it came out, I think, yesterday that he was never with the Raiders for more than like two or maybe two and a half consecutive days uh, during his tenure. And then real quick, I would just mention that, that I think that, that Panther fans would find this a little bit interesting. You know, a couple off seasons, off seasons ago, Cam Newton trained with Antonio Brown. And he hasn't said much. He, he, he didn't say much about it then, except to say that Antonio Brown was freakish and, and relentless in his training. And that came across in, in hard knocks as well. Um, very, very dedicated to his craft, at least what we saw. Yeah. And he, he's a monster training. You said he's very productive. Is he worth the headache? I, I would say no. And I think it's interesting that David Tepper, who is very familiar with Antonio Brown from their shared Pittsburgh experience, you know, I got the impression that he was never going to be an option for the Carolina Panthers. Real quick follow-up there. We do know that the New England Patriots offered a first-round draft pick to the Pittsburgh Steelers for Antonio Brown when things went sour for him in Pittsburgh. And among the reasons the Steelers said no to that and got arguably less from the Raiders was the Steelers didn't want to hand, you know, the team that often beats them in the AFC playoffs, a guy like Antonio Brown. So just, you know, ship him to Oakland and at least he'll be out of our hair, out of mind, et cetera. In your understanding of how this stuff works, from a team owner to the general manager to the head coach, could Antonio Brown, you know, game the system the way Jerry Rice believes this happened uh, maybe without you know inside information in Jerry Rice's case, you know it's it's one thing when in the NBA Anthony Davis you know makes clear I want out of New Orleans. A lot of fans sour on that because he had time left on his contract, but there was at least some transparency to it. The accusation here is that Antonio Brown wanted to get to the Patriots, and he just you know used Oakland and created a circus so that the only end result would be the Raiders waving him and then Drew Rosenhaus, you know, secretly having a, a deal ready to be signed with the New England Patriots. Do you believe in that kind of thing being possible? I don't. I love a conspiracy theory as much as the next guy. I don't, I don't believe it to be that far reached. I think that when it started, when, when things started to get, to, to get irrevocably bad, in Oakland, 
that I do think then maybe some wheels were put in motion. Yeah. I mean, and, you know, and we've gotten a little sense of that. I'm sure you've seen this, some of the reporting yes. on Twitter that, that, you know, he hired the social media consultant. And allegedly, Gruden agreed to have that conversation be part of that video that was posted of, of there. You know, a lot of people were thinking that happened surreptitiously. Right. But, I, but there's a report now that Gruden knew about that. So I, I don't think it started, you know, back during the offseason or when, when the, the New England thing was first kind of scuttled by Pittsburgh. But did it happen in the last 10 to 14 days? Maybe. Yeah. That, you know, that, that, that part I buy. I get it. Joe Person is joining us from The Athletic Carolina. I, do, I find most conspiracy theories ridiculous. And, and as, as you just said, I think the bigger picture conspiracy theory is ridiculous. But, no, it, it would not shock me if things unfolded the way you described over the last 10 to 14 days. All right, back to the Panthers. Uh, Gerald McCoy played an unusually low number of snaps for a high-profile free agent signee on the defensive line. Why did that happen? How did he react? And where does the Panthers' defense go from here? Yeah, great question. I mean, remember, this guy was a big-time get in June. Yeah. Panthers trumpeted his arrival and, and, you know, this terrific pro bowler in Tampa Bay. And he played um, less than half or about half of the defensive snaps Sunday. That is Eric Washington's that that's his his MO. He he rotates guys along that defensive front. He did it with Julius Peppers. He uh, did it with Charles Johnson, KK Short, right on down the list. Uh, Gerald McCoy's not used to that. I mean, he was in Tampa where I mean, he wasn't on the field every series, but he, he played a lot more than, than half the snaps. And, you know, he he made his feelings, you know, he, he, he tried to put a brave face on it Sunday, but he made it clear this, this is new territory. And then I followed up and said, you know, was it hard to get in a rhythm? And he said, yeah, it was. He said, you know, you're, you're out there, and he used the word mojo, getting your mojo going. He said, and then you're out of the game. He said, you know, but then he said, but it's week one, but we'll, we'll get adjusted to it. We'll figure it out. And, you know, Ron Rivera was not apologetic whatsoever when this came up yesterday. I mean, that, like I said, this, this is the way they've done it. They feel like it's been productive to keep these guys fresh. It was a very hot day. And, and Aaron Donald, you know, was not on the field the whole game either for the Rams, but, it, it, it seemed clear to me that Gerald McCoy wants to be on the field more and thinks he'll be more productive being out there more often. Last thing for you, I saw the Panthers are, I think it was a six-point favorite over the Buccaneers as Tampa comes to town on Thursday. I did watch the whole Panthers game. I did not really watch you know, the uh, Bucks' home loss to the 49ers. Uh, what do you circle in terms of a matchup you've seen many times that does have a new coach in Bruce Arians on the Tampa side, uh, but Jameis Winston still throwing a lot of interceptions for the Buccaneers? And that's just it, Dave. I mean, it was Arians and Byron Leftwich, uh, who, who went to Tampa with, with Arians, were going to be the, the answer and get Winston, you know, headed in the right way. And, and he throws two pick sixes uh, in, in the opener. So, uh, yeah, I mean, this is a game the Panthers have to win. I mean, they, they've, they've stubbed their, their, their toe against the Bucks here the last couple years here and there. But they're a better team. I mean, and, and I, I think Bruce Arians, I, I think he's a terrific coach, and I do think he will, you know, do 
decent down there, but that's been a, that's been a coach killer job since about the time Gruden left. And you know, you just it's a short week and you're playing at home that usually favors the home team. Uh, they're most Panthers are mostly healthy. Greg Greg Olson didn't practice today with a little back thing. I don't think that's a major deal, but we'll we'll learn more. Uh, yeah, I mean, get a couple turnovers. Protect your home turf. Get to one and one going out to uh, Phoenix in week three. Joe Person online, the Athletic Carolina on Twitter. Joseph Person, thanks for the visit, man. Keep up the good work. All right, man. Have a good week. Tony Barnhart on college football live in about forty-five minutes. On the other side, we revisit our questions of the day. I wasn't here yesterday, so I tell I will tell you what did I learn while playing a round of golf at Prestonwood Country Club in Cary, North Carolina, in a field that also included, and I got to say hi to all these guys, I played with one of them, the owner, Tom Dundon, the general manager, Don Waddell, the head coach, Rod Brindamore, the goaltender, Peter Morazic, the veteran defenseman whose name was mentioned on the trade block yesterday, Justin Falk, and the guy who is stepping away from hockey, Justin Williams, my favorite moment of the day, actually involved a guy they call Willie, the Hurricanes team captain during that breakthrough year a year ago. He still lives in the area, of course, with his family. There's still a door cracked open for him to return to the NHL here in his late 30s. Favorite moment involved Willie. More on that story with more of your calls on the questions of the day. For the NFL, it can be more than the Panthers, but my question was this. What did you learn, good and or bad, about your Panthers in that 30-27 to loss to the Rams? It was a horrible day for Cam Newton. And it was a scintillating, sensational day for Christian McCaffrey. Everything else was somewhere in between as they lost by a field goal to, I think, a really good opponent. I agree with Joe that you shouldn't give up on the Panthers just because they've started 0-1. On the other side, at the college level, who are the best teams in the ACC? We all know Clemson's number one. Heck, their Tigers are number one nationally. UVA, preseason pick to win the Coastal, looks pretty darn good out of the gate. Who's next? Is it the Wolfpack? Is it either Wake or UNC who play each other on Friday night in Winston-Salem? I'm not used to having so many 2-0 FBS football teams in the great state of North Carolina. We've got the Heels, the Deeks, the Packs, the Pack, and App State still undefeated and playing well to varying degrees. Is it Boston College? That's the correct answer to that question. Is it somebody else? You can jump in. I'll offer my thoughts as well. I've been asked a lot. What is real about the Tar Heels 2-0 start? And what might prove to be more of a mirage? My answer with more of yours, 1-800-849-2761 on the David Glenn Show. Roy Williams, welcome back to the David Glenn Show. Last year, 2 chains came walking by, and he reached his hand down and uh, shook my hand and said, 2 chains." And about five seconds after he walked away, I said, I missed a great opportunity. I should have said three rings. Keep it here on the David Glenn Show. Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. A couple of floating questions of the day as we're in between guests. Tony Barnhart live on college football in about 40 minutes. Mr. College Football himself from ESPN and the SEC Network will drop by. Same group of candidates, Clemson, Alabama, Georgia, Oklahoma, Ohio State, still, I think, have earned their place near the top of the national rankings. 
There are others who are intriguing, though, including the LSU team that beat Texas in one of the biggest games of the weekend. Maybe a little further down the ladder, could a Penn State or a Wisconsin break through from Big Ten country? The Pac-12 has mostly fallen on its face, as it usually does, with early losses by Oregon and Washington. Could somebody else from Pac-12 country, Utah, for example, or even our old friend Mike Leach, and Washington State, could they make the Pac-12 relevant in football between now and that college football playoff thing? A lot of we'll see there. Closer to home, the question of the day is, after Clemson and UVA, the two teams picked to win their respective divisions, and they're both off to 2-0 starts. Tigers number one in the national rankings, and deservedly so. After those two preseason favorites, who is the next best team in the ACC? Some say it could be either Wake or UNC. They're both 2-0. They play each other Friday night in Winston-Salem. Some like the 2-0 NC State Wolfpack or the 2-0 Boston College Eagles or even somebody else. As I come to your calls and the NFL question of the day, what did you learn, good and or bad, about your Carolina Panthers in that 30-27 loss to the Rams in Charlotte? You can jump in on that or the crazy Antonio Brown story, 1-800-849-2761. What is real about the Carolina Tar Heels 2-0 start and what might turn out to be a mirage. I'll also deliver, as promised, the most fun, the most awkward, and the most appreciated moments of my trip to the golf course yesterday with essentially every important member of the Carolina Hurricanes organization. I got to chat with just about everybody I wanted to say hi to. Either I found them or they found me. I was appreciative in all of those cases. From the owner, Tom Dundon, to Don Waddell, the GM, the head coach and old friend, Rod Brindamore, the voice of the Canes, John Forslund, our old friend, Mike Maniscalco, who might have been our guest host yesterday, but he was on duty as a master of ceremonies of sorts out at Prestonwood Country Club as we all had a lot of fun and raised a lot of money for the Carolina Hurricanes Foundation. Intern Sam, representing UNC, will be the first voice you hear when you jump in with your question or comment NFL college football or the other headlines of the day Darren I barely got to talk to you yesterday most fun moment of the outing I'm putting aside the fact that we once again were on the podium if we were a rock band our name would be Motley Crue you know why Bob Gilday sponsor of our foursome as we have won it all we have been holding the trophy, but we're often in the money, as the old saying goes. Right. Yesterday, tied for second place. I actually won a bunch of prizes that I'm just going to put in the DG Show prize closet rather than keeping it for myself. It's funny, like players and Don Waddell to the GM won various competitions. So what is their prize? It's like, you know, signed <laughs> hockey sticks. What, what, what are they going to do with that? These guys don't want each other's autographs. So, you know, they donated them to other participants. And a lot of the folks who play in this event are a big part of raising, I mean, hundreds of thousands of dollars for the Carolina Hurricanes Foundation. Used to be called Kids and Community Foundation. Same concept, same golf event. I've played in it for probably 15 years running, thanks to the other guys in my foursome. So Bob Gilday is this guy who, because of back, shoulder, and hip problems, doesn't hit tee shots, doesn't hit from the fairway, and at his slightly more advanced age, no longer hits chip shots either because he's, his back, his hip, and his shoulder are that risky, all right? So he just putts if you had not figured that out yet. <laughs> so through 18 holes, the rest of us are goofing around, hitting good shots, bad shots. He's just, you know, rooting us on from the golf cart, and then he gets out and he hits a putt. Four clutch putts, which in our decade and a half together, all birdie putts, 
Bob Gilday comes through for us. Nice. And he's also the guy who donates the big bucks to the Carolina Hurricanes Foundation. So that was fun. We're the Motley Crew, and it's spelled differently with the rock band, Darren. You would know that as an Emory and Henry grad. Of course. Motley Crew, you've got the guy who only putts. You've got my guy, Kurt Saylor, who's playing his best golf of his life in his 50s. For the record, he's in his early 50s, but isn't that an inspiration to me? <laughs> right? I'm dreaming of playing my best golf in my 50s someday. Kurt actually does it. He's like a three handicap. He was a mad bomber for us all day long. And then my buddy from the beach, Chris Queensberry, I call him Chris from Queensbury, like royal family, whenever he hits a big shot. It is a motley crew, trust me, in every way. And our player was Peter Morazic, last year's star goaltender in the playoff run and otherwise. Most fun moment of the day. Justin Williams, the recently not retired, but stepping away from hockey, member of the Carolina Hurricanes, team captain last year as they made that magical run. I see no Justin Williams anywhere. And I'm thinking, well, it makes sense, right? Every player that you would think you'd see was there. The owner, Tom Dundon, who, by the way, is a phenomenal golfer, also there. Brindamore doesn't play golf a lot at this stage of his life and career, but he was there. He's actually better than he says he is. You see every player you think, Don Waddell, the GM, is there. You know, Stormy is there. Our beloved Storm Squad is there. Shout out to Gina and Keeley for helping us in our Chapel Hill stop of the Big Tailgate Tour on Saturday. Everybody you expect to see is there, but no Justin Williams. And the reaction for me was just, well, I guess technically right now, he's not under contract. He's not officially a member of the team. And for those who don't know how this charity event works, every foursome gets a member of the organization. So you might get Tom Dundon. You might get, as we did, star goalie Peter Morazic. In other years, I don't know, I've, at this point, I've had 15 different members of the Canes, and some of them are among the best golfers I've ever seen. Morazic, good golfer, but not in Ray Whitney territory or the other all-time greats that I've played with. So no Justin Williams, no problem. Well, you know how these media events go. You've played in some of them, or this is a charity event. Re media events work this way as well. They stagger your tees. So you got to drive out. They're starting everybody at the same time. You're not all yeah. starting on the first hole. So once everybody gets out to their tee, like a whistle blows or something, and then everybody gets underway so that you're not on each other's heels and everybody's playing at the same pace. Well, we're a hole or two into the round, and like a bat out of bleepware, who in his, by himself in a golf cart, who comes barreling down but Justin Williams in his own golf cart? <laughs> and we yell out, and he knows several members of our fivesome, including, of course, the goalie, Peter Morazic, and yells at us, and we yell back at him, and one of us yelled, so you're playing? And he yelled back, yeah, I'm playing. <laughs> and I'm like, wait a minute, as the only journalist in the group, I'm not sure exactly what Justin we Williams meant right there. <laughs> Hold on. Can I get in one of our carts and hunt him down? Does that mean I am playing to help raise money for the Carolina Hurricanes Foundation? <laughs> Does that mean I promised the Canes that even if I were an inactive player, I would <laughs> play in their fundraising tournament just to be in somebody's fivesome? I'm playing can mean a lot of different things. For the record, Jay Will is not back. <laughs> he is still stepping away from <laughs> hockey, but clearly not stepping away entirely from the Carolina Hurricanes organization. It was cool to see him as a part of the franchise as he helped them on one of their most special fundraising days of the year. Most awkward moment of the day. 
besides me trying to hit nice golf shots. Most awkward moment of the day. Justin Falk, veteran defenseman, of course, is there. You know, you see him beforehand, you say hi, you see him afterward. They give out these prizes and awards. There's a little kind of banquet-style ceremony. Maniscalco is the MC. First place, second place, third place, longest drive, most accurate drive, other prizes. Storm Squad hands out the trophies, etc. I donate our stuff to the prize closet. That Justin Falk, I mean, imagine this in your life. At any time walking around today, Darren, could you, before, after, or during our show, wonder whether I have shipped you to a different sports radio program. <laughs> Could that happen to you? I don't think so. No, I don't think that's how sports media works. Uh, without a collective bargaining agreement in place, I'm pretty sure <laughs> I would be guilty of human trafficking, right? <laughs> like, that's not allowed. Um, that's against the Constitution of the United States, among other things. Justin Falk, seriously, Peter Morazic, my playing partner, while a little delay in the action, is looking at his phone and he goes... Hey, the Anaheim Ducks just offered to trade for Justin Falk. Like, that's his teammate. This is one of the guys defending his in front of his net. Like, he, he is more than a casually interested observer. If I'm Peter Morazic, like Justin Falk, right-handed slap shot, you know, one of the leaders in the locker room, one of the more experienced members of the Cane. Cane's quality player, good guy, right? One of the reasons Peter Morazic had his breakthrough season last year. So Morazic's like, is Justin Falk going to be my teammate by the end of these 18 holes? I don't know. He didn't claim to know. Now, it was just a report from a hockey writer. And as it turns out, Justin Falk is the ultimate arbiter of whether he gets traded to the Anaheim Ducks or not because of some clauses in his contract that give him power as a veteran player. Like there's the, I would, I would okay a trade to these teams, but I would reject a trade to these others. So, so it becomes a player decision, as unusual as that is in pro sports. Sometimes the veteran guys have these clauses where I don't have to go to Anaheim if I don't want to. So does he want another year in his final contract year with the Canes? Why would the Canes even be thinking of shipping him out of town? Well, he makes good money. He's in the last year of his deal. And if preliminary conversations about what he thinks he's worth on the open market outprice him from the Canes' perspective, you know, put who's right and who's wrong aside, if they're not seeing eye to eye, it is not at all uncommon in any of these pro sports that you ship the guy out when you can get something for him rather than if he walks for nothing at the end of his deal after the upcoming season. So as of now, Justin Falk, still a member of the Hurricanes, but that was the most awkward moment of the day. We did get the win. We did appreciate how everybody rallied around our quintet and our appearance here. All of those guys say that it is automatic yes. When Darren Vaught calls for a guest on the David Glenn Show, uh, they all said, Forsen's like, anytime, DG. Brenda Moore's like, I tell my staff, automatic yes. DG calls, doesn't matter what else is going on, automatic yes. Decades of relationship building there with one of my favorite athletes in any sport, uh, one of my favorite human beings in anything that we cover. So we are appreciative. It was a lot of fun. We did place on the podium one more time, Darren. There was a fun moment with Justin Williams, an awkward moment with Justin Falk, and a whole lot of fun with the veteran goaltender, Peter Morazic. I am happy that he is back. He is happy that he is back. He plays golf lefty, plays goalie righty, and has been told by golf professionals that someday, because of his athletic ability and hand-eye coordination, which is obvious for those who have seen him play, I don't know all the why here, but they tell him that he'll be an even better right-handed golfer someday 
than what he can maximize with his current left-handed swing. A little, little goaltender trivia for you there. He's not a bad golfer left-handed. He, he's long and lean and athletic, and, man, when he gets a hold of it, it goes a long way. Uh, by, hot, by Kane's standards, he's probably a middle-of-the-road golfer because some of those dudes are near scratch, like really, really good. So he was good, and he was actually a lot of fun. We were appreciative having him in our fivesome. But uh, the Carolina Hurricanes, again, Kids and Community Foundation has become just the Canes Foundation. They do give back to the community. We did help raise a lot of money for their causes, and we were happy to have that on our schedule once again this year for about a 15-year run now. Thanks to Bob Gilday, Kurt Saylor, and Chris Queensberry, along with Peter Morazic as we took the bronze medal as Motley Crew, 1-800-849-2761. Mac is back. The Tar Heels were among the leading vote-getters for best of the weekend in the college football world. They came back to beat South Carolina in Charlotte in week one. They came back to beat Miami in Chapel Hill on Saturday night. We were there with the big tailgate tour. How much of the Tar Heels 2-0 start against better competition than what App State at 2-0 or NC State, for example, at 2-0 has faced. How much of it is real? How much of it might be a mirage? More of your answers to our questions of the day, NFL and college football, and my answer to the Mac is back question. In Seinfeld, the famous phrase is, they're real and they're spectacular. Are these Tar Heels real or are they more mirage? My answer to that question, as we welcome your calls, 1-800-849-2761. Tony Barnhart, Mr. College Football, live in less than 30 minutes. You can join us at 1-800-849-2761. Next on the David Glenn Show. The head devil, David Cutcliffe. You guys have a unique ability to, to just do it right. You know, all the fans... They're always going to defend their programs, and they should. Sometimes we all make somebody in another program mad or angry, but you guys are very fair to everybody. The David Glenn Show. Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. If you want in on our football questions of the day, what'd you learn, good and bad, about the Carolina Panthers and their 30-27 to loss to the Rams? Christian McCaffrey was a highlight for me. Cam Newton was a low light for me. A lot of other things went well. Some really good plays on special teams for the Panthers could have tilted their, that, uh, those scales in their favor. Game got away in part because of a couple of really ugly Cam Newton turnovers. 1-800-849-2761. The road gets less complicated moving forward. The Bucks on Thursday night in Charlotte, then at Arizona. Kyler Murray did lead a pretty impressive comeback as the first-year quarterback under the first-year coach, Cliff Kingsbury. At Arizona is where the Panthers are going after playing the Bucks on Thursday. At Houston, looks tricky with Deshaun Watson playing well for the Texans. Then it's Jacksonville at home, and then the Buccaneers again. So 0-1 could become a nicer-looking record pretty quickly here as September unfolds. Don't give up on your Carolina Panthers, but Cam must be a lot better if they're going to get where they want to go. 1-800-849-2761. The college football question of the day is after Clemson and UVA, the preseason favorites who have both started 2-0, who is the next best team in the ACC? Boston College getting votes, Wake and Carolina getting votes. They play each other Friday night in Winston-Salem. NC State at 2-0 and headed to West Virginia getting votes today as well. You can jump in with your question or comment now at 1-800-849-2761. Like most things in life, social media has both a significant beneficial upside, if you're willing to look for those, and 
as I think most of you understand, and we certainly do, out here with a relatively large public platform that encourages feedback from people, good and bad, there is a massive soul-sucking downside to social media as well, personally or professionally. Last night, just a little chicken soup for your sports soul today as I answer your Tar Heel questions and dive into the rest of those football matters. Social media feedback actually helped a major NFL television broadcast improve during the broadcast itself. Now, I've been around long enough to know that, of course, you listen to your customers, but you may get that feedback too late to fix whatever's going wrong at the time. Well, thanks to modern technology, Internet, social media, and otherwise, most of which was not available when DG was just a young upstart in the sports media world. Last night, sure enough, as the Texans and the Saints are playing in the early game of a Monday night football doubleheader on ESPN. Darren, did you see this? There was new graphics. You see that pretty much every year. Yeah, a new score bug, as it's called. The, score the bug. Yeah, <laughs> Look the, at you the go. The graphic on uh, the more constant screen that you see while watching Monday Night Football. Is that is that an industry insider term, or do fans call that the score bug? Uh, I, I mean, it's it's an industry term for sure. I, 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 I think, don't use score I think, bug. I think many fans would, would also use that same language, though. Score bug. Yeah. Score bug. Yeah. Intern Sam, do you use the word score bug? Is that that's yeah. common in yeah. your 20-something uh, vernacular? Yeah. All right. It's just another. I mean, no. we're, all, we're also both media people. True. So I, I don't know I, amongst, you know, non-media types. I don't know either. I'm just curious now. Maybe some, some <laughs> listeners can tell us. Is score bug part of your vernacular as an American sports fan? But put that off to the side. The new score bug Graphics, as I and other cavemen <laughs> call them, as we ride our dinosaurs to and from work every day. The, the graphics had, of course, the down and distance. That's not revolutionary. But it was in a little box that was yellowish in color. Well, what does every football fan at every level think of when there is a flash of yellow anywhere on your screen, either in the form of a flying referee's flag or in the form of a graphic? Usually, it's going to mean a flag, a penalty of some sort. So the third and 15 logo on Saints versus Texans drove so many fans crazy in the midst of the game that early in the game, they're bombarding social media with how could ESPN, the worldwide leader, be this ridiculous? Like, why isn't there a voice in these off-season production rooms? All right, let's run up the new score bug for everybody to dissect before we let the real customers see it. <laughs> How did it get through the entire summer? And all of those assistant vice presidents in charge of pencil sharpening and other things, how did it get through all of them? Nobody said, hey, wait a minute. Yellow may not be the best idea given what fans think when they see flashes of yellow on their NFL screens. The reaction was so quick and in the world of social media, so immediate and transparent that ESPN made a change on the fly. An ESPN PR account on Twitter actually tweeted, our ESPN production team is aware of the feedback on the hashtag MNF, that's for Monday Night Football, even I knew that, down and distance graphic. We have called an audible and adjusted for the second half of Houston versus New Orleans and for the Denver-Oakland game to follow. The new look is pictured here. And on their Twitter account, 
They give like the before and after picture, like some kind of Weight Watchers commercial, right? Before, and look at this, after you get all the same new sports bug information, but without the confusing yellow in the down and distance box. Was it, a, was it bothersome to you as a consumer? Yeah. It yeah. was. Especially because a lot of the times when they use that, ESPN has a tendency to use their sort of bottom line format for score bugs. It's the line that runs all the way across the bottom of the screen. And a lot of the time, th through many of these variations of their graphics, the bottom right is where it will flash up yellow and say True that. penalty on True the that. play. So Even it I noticed had me, that. It had me thinking every single play that a flag had been thrown, and then I look down, you know, with more than peripheral vision and see third and 12 or whatever. Begging the question, how did this not possibly right. have somebody objecting during the <laughs> eternal offseason somewhere at ESPN headquarters in Bristol? True or false, though, the tiny little rectangular boxes that are usually like beneath a team logo on your sports bug? Score bug, yeah. Uh, score bug, sorry. <laughs> the score bug. Wouldn't they be yellow rectangles? They are, but they're, they're smaller. Minimal, they're minimal enough that it's not. They it's, are. It's not the big, wide yellow right. stripe where they keep. would normally indicate penalty. We'll see now the yellow. Because that's six little yellow rectangles if both teams have all three timeouts remaining. See, you I, okay with that? I, I thought of this. Sports bug, score bug <laughs> off kilter? From a graphics perspective, I thought of this after they made the change because now it bothers me because the yellow is not consistent with any of the other coloring. On the, the three timeouts underneath each team. So it, it's not that I confuse it with a penalty flag being thrown. I just want, you know, consistency with their brand down at the bottom. God help us if the Packers are playing the Chargers or two other teams <laughs> with some kind of gold and yellow in their uniforms. The whole social media world is going to come crashing to a halt. 1-800-849-2761. Just a reminder that for all of the massive soul-sucking downside that social media can give us in life and in sports, there's occasionally... A chicken soup for the sports soul breakthrough. Mac Brown and the Tar Heels, are they real and spectacular? Or is they part, as Bugs Bunny would say, mirage? My answer and more of your calls. Tony Barnhart, live in 15 minutes, next on the David Glenn Show. I believe it is the NBA's turn in the line dance. And I don't think they can dance. I don't think they can dance as well as DG dances, and I'm only a three or a four. The David Glenn Show, weekdays at noon. This atmosphere was the best I've ever seen here. It was unbelievable, so thanks to our students and, and our, our fans for coming out tonight and making a difference in this ballgame, and, and I thought it disrupted some things that, that Miami was trying to do. Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. Tony Barnhart, Mr. College Football, live in less than 10 minutes. Your calls on the NFL, college football, and other headlines of the day. 1-800-849-2761. What did you learn good and bad about your Panthers and their loss to the Rams? And after the preseason favorites, Clemson and UVA, who is that next best team in the ACC that may make a run at something great? Answers so far include three teams from our backyard. Votes for the Deacons and the Tar Heels who play each other Friday in Winston-Salem. That's actually a non-conference game, which sounds weird, but is true. NC State at 2-0 getting votes. Boston College at 2-0 getting votes. I thought Manny Diaz of Miami put it well. And remember, his Hurricanes are facing an 0-2 start 
That's his rookie year as a head coach. The Canes program has not started 0-2 since 1978. There is some pressure that comes with that, just like Willie Taggart's dealing with a different form of pressure at Florida State right now. Manny Diaz's best point was the Hurricanes are two plays away from being 2-0 rather than 0-2. And if you watch their loss to the Gators, you know he's right. And if you watched his loss to the Tar Heels in Chapel Hill, or maybe you were there as we were on Saturday, you know he's right about that as well. If Sam Howell doesn't connect with Daz Newsom in the right corner of that end zone, Miami's going home with a win, and the Tar Heels are talking about coming close against a Miami team that Mac Brown described as as talented, if not more, than anybody not named Clemson in the entire ACC football standings. The question I get in the aftermath a lot as we welcome your calls is, are the Tar Heels, to choose the Seinfeld phrase in a much, much different context, are they real and spectacular? They're real oh. and they're spectacular. If I remember correctly, she's talking about something else entirely. A great thing to discuss, but a digression from our conversation about college football. They're real and they're spectacular. In that Seinfeld episode, are the Tar Heels real and spectacular? I think that question still lingers. I think there's a chance that a 2-0 start turns out to be more of a Bugs Bunny-style mirage. Bugs says mirage if you haven't followed that cartoon. But here's what's real, even as most of us admit we're guessing about whether real can become real and spectacular. Are the Heels the surprise team of the ACC this year? We'll learn more at Wake on Friday. They have as good a chance of anybody else, I'd say, at this point. Miami's not bad at 0-2, and they're the only 0-2 team in the league. So they're the worst record of 14 teams, and they're not bad. You could be 2-0 and and not be all that great. That's the reality right now. Here's what is also real. Mac Brown has brought street credibility back to the UNC football program. They're often an afterthought beyond basketball. They often have infamously late-arriving or non-arriving crowds. What is real is that Mac Brown asked people to be in their seats by 7.30, and they were for the most part. And by that 8 o'clock kickoff on TV, national TV with the ACC network, it was 50,000-plus rocking and rolling loud, and it was hard to find an empty seat. It has not been that way often for UNC football in the last two-plus decades since he left to take the Texas job. What is also real is that he hired one of the top up-and-coming defensive coordinators in the country in Jay Bateman of Army. That guy hangs around with Dave Arenda of LSU and Mike Elko of Texas A&M. They are two of the other up-and-coming superstars of defensive assistant coaching in college football. The Tar Heels may, they certainly hired well with Phil Longo and Jay Bateman as their coordinators. They may have surrounded Mac Brown with what he needs at 68 years old. Sam Howe is also real. He doesn't make those throws against the Gamecocks and the Canes. The Heels are 0-2 instead of 2-0. More on that story with Tony Barnhart's next. I would never be so competitive so childish that I would actually keep track of my record as a coach in youth soccer. I mean, that would be ridiculous. So when I think about my 78 wins, two losses, and four <laughs> ties, not that I was keeping track or anything. Stay with us on the David Glenn Show.